Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson. And I'm Christopher Harding, and we're going to pick up where we left off, as we always do, Will. Uh, just to give a quick review, see if I can do this in 30 seconds or less. I'll start uh, the timer. <laughs> uh, we've covered the power of story. Right. Uh, how we create stories in our mind that actually affect the way we see things. We've talked about how bias can actually creep into our story and limit the way we see people or situations. We've talked about identifying our deeper values, the ones that really light us up, and learning how to infuse those not only into our mindset and our story, but in the way we carry out our day-to-day activities, which, right. as we talked about, is is uh, a really big challenge. Uh, and the, these three are the three practices in level one of our program, which is all about having a thriving mindset. Yeah, so now what we're going to do is move into an area that is, is really kind of one of your core specialties, and that is the whole idea of vision first mm-hmm. and results now, and, you know, how to really... How does this idea of story and values and bias help shape our vision and really create uh, some momentum for us? Vision first, that's one of my little mottos. I discovered this many years ago when I used to get a rough ride because I was so imaginative. Mm-hmm. And my dad, for instance, who is you know, a great guy, but he was very practical. And he, he thought I was a dreamer which I was, but to him, my imagination was a detriment. It got in the way of things like helping him build a garage. Right, right. It got in the way. But as I grew up and I went to college and I started, you know, with a career, I began to learn that imagination was a vastly overlooked tool. And then I discovered that guiding quote from Einstein, that imagination is more important than knowledge. And I began to understand what he meant. Knowledge is like a tool. Imagination is knowing how to use the tool. So that's why I've come to to use that phrase, vision first. Because to have a vision, we've got to use our imagination. Well, and it sounds like from what you're saying and what what I know about your process is that Without having vision first, we're kind of, you could say, either wandering aimlessly or maybe going in repetitive cycles that don't have any real definitive direction to them. We can do this for years and years. In fact, most of us do, kind of wandering in the wilderness of our lives, not feeling in control behind the eight ball, putting out fires, blaming other people, external circumstances for what's not happening in our lives in the way we sense could be possible. So what I've learned in my own life and working with clients is that there is a way to begin to use the imagination to put vision first and be proactive instead of reactive in the way we live. Well, let's let's talk about that for a minute. So when you say vision first, I mean, the idea that is is that I would have to know how to to come up with a vision. I'd have to know how to create a vision. So yeah. there's a lot of different ways people do that. Anybody who's been in business much knows that sometimes you create vision statements and we maybe set goals and, and so yeah. forth. So how is the process that you advocate different than maybe what the traditional vision statement is that gets crafted and hammered out and put on the wall? The short answer to that is I found that emotion is more important than words. Traditionally, a vision statement is that. It's a statement. It uses words. And probably most of us have been in sessions where we 
collaborated with others and we worked on the wording and got it exactly right. Here's our vision statement. And then we filed it somewhere and forgot about it. Or we use it, but it's words. So I find that although words are important, it's emotion that actually makes the vision work, that actually makes the vision be a prelude to what you're creating in actual form. So when you say emotion, you're talking about feeling, right? And so part of Part of this is that if I create a vision, I'm going to create a vision that elicits feeling of some mm-hmm. kind. That, yeah. uh, and so maybe walk us through an example. How would you create a vision that elicits emotion or elicits feeling? It's actually very simple, and I'll use an immediate example. A few minutes ago, I was driving from my office over here to yours to record this podcast. And by now, because I've done this for so many years and I get great practice with clients every day, it was automatic as I was driving to create a vision for this podcast. And it was as simple as reaching into the future to after the podcast recording had been completed and connecting with the feeling I want to have about our work today, which was That was a lot of fun. We did a really good job. I feel proud of the product we've created. Now, I created an emotion-led vision around what we're doing right now, and I'm having that experience as we record. (laughs) Right. Well, I remember one of my most memorable experiences of this with you was we were headed to a state legislature to Uh, do... Right up in Salem. Yeah, yeah, to do a session uh, with the state legislature, and we were, as we were driving up, we were describing how we were feeling as if we were driving back. Yeah. And it was almost like, uh, I think we called it, it's like you're projecting into the future and backcasting, right? Backcasting instead of forecasting. It's the key to this process. Yeah, I remember that drive. That was fun. And then as we experienced, it kind of turned out the way we'd visioned. Well, it was. I mean, it was It was interesting. It was like we, we literally stated, okay, we're driving back from, from Salem. Uh, we're just really feeling great about the way things went. People participated at such a uh, engaged level, and the conversations we had were remarkable. They just asked great questions and were really responsive, and you know, some of the controversial things that came up got resolved beautifully. And we just described this whole sense of how it was. Now, there's a reason why that works. Well, it's the reason that coaches have discovered why they get their clients, athletes, high-performing athletes and celebrities to use visioning processes. It's because the brain, if you create a detailed enough vision, particularly the subconscious, can't really differentiate between a detailed vision and the actual facts. So you create a dissonance deliberately between the way things are and this vision you've created. And then your your whole system goes, well, I want to close the gap. So uh, I better hit my tee shot to that spot on the on the fairway that this guy just envisioned because I don't like this dissonance. I want consonance. I want harmony. Uh, I, I don't like this difference between driving to Salem with this great vision of what's going to happen, and it's not happened yet, so when it does start happening, I'm going to make sure those two align. 
Right, right. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about this uh, part of the brain called the RAS uh, before. And go and, and say the whole thing. I know <laughs> this is your favorite term. <laughs> Reticular activating system. We should have a little sound effect we use every time you say that. <laughs> but it's 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 so fascinating to me because it's that part of the brain that actually grabs on to yeah. that feeling yeah. and that that vision and then starts looking for ways to fulfill it. It's sorting for to create yeah. that reality. Yeah, and the brain is, you know, the most brilliant uh, machine in the universe. It's, it's, it's incredible. I remember one of the first times I had a vivid experience of this process. It was many years ago now, and I was about to be interviewed by our local mayor. He's a very, um, very great guy in terms of people contact. He has a regular TV show at the, the local station. And he invited me on to talk about a nonprofit that I started here. And as I was driving to the studio, I began to run this process. And I envisioned the interview going really well, John asking me great questions, being happy. And I saw myself driving home mm. from the studio. It was actually the first time I had such a vivid experience of it. And I went, I've just time traveled. I'm, I'm actually in the future right now. And I knew I was making it up, just using my imagination. But I noticed that an hour later, I was driving home and I was remembering how the show had gone and my memory was almost identical to the vision I'd created before I got to the studio. You had your own deja vu moment, huh? <laughs> I created my own deja vu, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was really stirring and it, it impressed me so much. I think that's what catalyzed me to really start exploring this, you know, on my own and with clients. Right. Well, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we've talked about how, you know, what are some of the elements you, you put yourself into the future, you get specific about what's happened. Uh, how you feel about it, you describe things as if it's already done and you're enjoying a future feeling now. And so the challenge sometimes I know you have with clients, I do too, and I even have it with myself <laughs> as well, is to know sometimes what do I want? Mm -hmm. You know, what do I really want uh, as I look into creating a future vision? And so you and I have talked about this before, that sometimes if we get too far out in the future, it's harder to know uh, precisely what we want. So mm -hmm. one way to start practicing is like you just described with moments that are about to occur. I'm about ready to walk into a meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm about ready to have a conversation and to start to envision, uh, you know, how would I like that to go at but doing it from the future looking back. Exactly. And I think it's important to pause for a moment <clears throat> to realize that the machinery is always in action. Mm. We are always visioning something. <laughs> the programming is working. For instance, let's say that I'm heading into a meeting with a few people and I've met with them before. If I do not intervene consciously and get clear about what I want, do a little visioning, my programming from the past will be the default setting. And I'll be going in there worrying, probably, that the same thing that happened before is going to happen again. And then I come out of it and I go, yep, just like last time, it happened again. Without realizing that I created the self-fulfilling prophecy. I created it, going back to our first module, with the story that I'm telling about it. But it was all under the conscious level. I didn't even know I was doing that. So I've realized that unless I do get conscious about what I want, the old programming is going to prevail. Well, that's that's 
important to remember. And so uh, I'm thinking of a question that I've been asked in, in a training session about this before when having this conversation. And they said, well, so I've got this, this person that's really difficult for me to work with. And yeah, I, I know when I go in, I'm, I go in with trepidation and so on. But are you telling me that just by me imagining something happening, that somehow this is going to turn out differently? I mean, they're still the same person. How is it that this is going to change just because I created a vision of what I want? Well, I'd like to answer by quoting you. Because you've got, I think, one of the best phrases in our whole program, which is to catch people doing something right. Mm. Now, how do we do that? It's because we're looking for something right. So if I'm remembering a comment about some therapist who was listening to his patient describe his wife, who had quite a temper, and he said, yeah, she just keeps exploding all the time. And I'm so worried that she's going to explode, and she just keeps exploding. She has a really short fuse. And the therapist said, I know what your problem is. You think your wife is a bomb. (laughs) He was perceiving his wife as a bomb, so she kept blowing up. Now, the point is, you tend to see what you're looking for. So if I'm looking for something in another person that's admirable and noble and kind and loving, it may be like digging for gold. I got to go through a lot of gravel to find it. But because that's (laughs) what I'm looking for, I'm going to sift out all the gravel. I'm going to find that nugget of gold. So it's not as if you know, magically we can change other people. We change what we're looking for and seek and ye shall find. Right, right. Well, that's that, 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 that makes sense. And so I start sorting through reality to find the thing that I'm looking for. And then I catch that. I pay attention to that. I reinforce that. Catch them doing it right. So Exa- exactly. And I think we can make a real game out of this. I, I was working on a pretty hard project the other day, physical, and I had somebody helping me. And uh, this person was actually doing a really terrible job. (laughs) And I was getting very frustrated. And I didn't know quite how to deal with it. But I used our processes. And what story am I telling? What result do I want? What's my vision? And I ended up, when we took a little break, saying, you know, I really appreciate your help. This is making such a big difference for me. And this person just melted and said, oh, I, I thought I was doing a terrible job. And... Well, thank you. And how, how can I improve? <laughs> that was the open door for me then to say, well, you know, if you did this before you did that, and then this other thing, that would be even better than what you're doing right now. And it was just a psychological strategy that worked. We then got back to work and it was much better than before. Well, as you're saying that, a couple of things come to mind. One, when I think about going into a meeting and if I've had a history, um, Part of what I can do to help create that new vision is say, what value do I want to infuse into this interaction? Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe it's a value of listening compassionately. Maybe it's a value of, you know, catching them doing it right, whatever yeah. that might be. Yeah. But it, as you're also describing your interaction in that situation, it reminds me that a lot of times we get fixated, especially if we have a left brain tendency, on the the quantitative results. Yes. What got done, by when, how much. Yeah. And that's great. We, mm-hmm. we know that's an important part of business and, and life uh, in many cases. But what you were also focusing on, so it wasn't an either-or false mm-hmm. dichotomy. It was a both-and, the result and the quality of the mm-hmm. relationship and the experience. And you 
infused both of those into, if you will, your your vision of how you wanted it to turn out. Well, you're making a really great point, Chris, and I think we should spend a moment on this because I, I don't want us to be conveying the inaccurate idea that when you do this visioning process, you're going to get everything you want in terms of, uh, you know, a physical result. We don't control the universe. <laughs> There's a few other people involved. There's also surprises. The unexpected shows up. We do our best to create a vision of, you know, what we want. In my case with this job, I wanted a certain quantity of work done. Right. Now, as it turned out, we did not complete the task. Various things intervened, including the air quality. We've got wildfires in our area. The, the air turned bad, and it just wasn't safe to continue working outside. So we had to stop short of completion physically. Well, I couldn't control that. Right. But what I could control is the values I brought into the interchange with this other person, and I chose kindness and uh, kind of a contented feeling rather than irritation wanting to get more done. So as it turned out, we had a wonderful time. We got as much work done as we could, and now the wheels are in motion to complete the job. Other people are showing up, and I'm going, you know, this is another part of this adventure that I hadn't seen. That's interesting, yeah. Well, and, and that's that's part of it, too, and, and we'll get into this more in, in a later program, but just the whole notion that we have to constantly be assessing reality and, and uh, then, you know, focusing on what is the ultimate outcome we're aiming for. So, yes, we want to get the work done. We want to get a certain quantity done. And we want to, to build and preserve the relationship so that it continues to enable us to have those type of wonderful resources going forward. Well, you're, you're speaking real wisdom here because... We're dealing with some conventions in the West in terms of uh, patriarchy and masculine-led leadership where it's kind of damn the torpedoes. We're going to get this done. And come hell or high water, we will accomplish our goal. You know, it, like, what's the phrase? It's not uh, uh, when it doesn't matter how you play the game. Uh, yeah, yes, it's whether you win or lose, basically. Yeah, it's not whether you win or you lose, lose, it's how you, how you play, play the, the game. game but and there's coaches who just flatly say, uh, no, I don't believe that. What counts is winning right? at all costs. But what are the costs, for instance, to our relationships with those who will be working with again, to our health, if we drive ourselves like crazy and we get the job done, but we exhaust ourselves, is it really worth it long term? Well, and I think that's that's the challenge for us a lot of times too. Is is that we are very short term focused in this part of the world. We don't yeah. tend tend to look downstream and really say, you know, is this a future consequence that I'm that I'm consciously creating in my and am I willing to own it? I know that in my own life, there's a lot of short term focus that I've done that have had long-term consequences that I just didn't e either think about or pay attention to. And a lot of times those those costs, you know, long-term costs are dire. Yes. And so, uh, you know, I, th I think, you know, as, as we go through this, th this whole conversation about thriving that we often do, you and I 
talk about this with our clients and when we're doing training and so on, but the acknowledgement that this is a practice. It's it's not something certainly that I have perfected. Uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to do it better. I am always discovering little tweaks that I make in my process, and I know that I'll always be doing that. Yeah, and it's and I think sometimes the the hardest lessons learned are ones that uh, you know are far enough downstream that have already happened to where we're going. Oh crap! If I could do that over again, what mm-hmm. would I do different? So well, that's the topic of another show because yes. we actually can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about that later about how our memories reside in our data bank and how we can actually change them. We already do with fish. You know, the fish gets bigger, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as, as, as we're looking at this, I think uh, one of the things that you, this was something you showed me when you were first uh, describing the vision process that you use, uh, you call it creating proof of vision. Mm-hmm. So tell, talk a little bit about that. So I've, I've, I've kind of gone into the future. I've created this sense of what I want. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling the future result now, and it's, it's residing with me. And so I walk into a situation, or maybe I'm just sitting in my chair contemplating it. What does it mean to create proof of vision? It's a term I came up with coming out of proof of concept, which is well known in the business world. Proof of vision for me is when whatever feeling I've imagined I would have in the future when whatever I'm working on is complete meets the feeling that I have when it's complete. So for instance, going back to my example of the TV interview with the mayor here, when I was driving home, that was the moment of proof of vision. If as I was driving home, I was feeling depressed and upset and disappointed, that wouldn't match the feeling of the vision that I created. So I would not have achieved proof of vision. So proof of vision in a way is, I guess, a confirmation that you... uh felt into that vision strongly enough to actually uh, have reality match with what you'd imagined. Well, yes, and I don't want to go too far into the quantum world here. I'm studying it right now, so that's my tendency. But the phrase I'm using with clients, more advanced work where clients have been practicing this, is the moment when imagination becomes perception. And perception becomes reality. (laughs) Yeah, well, initially, the idea is we're creating a vision of something we want in the future. And the future is out there somewhere. It hasn't happened yet. Well, anybody who studies quantum uh, mechanics soon learns, immediately learns, that there is no past, present, or future in the quantum world. Right. Time is simultaneous. It's all simultaneous. It's just this moment. Now, interestingly, we're seeing an intersection here between science and spirituality kind of saying the same thing from different vantage points. Anyway, what we're learning doing these visioning practices is that what we initially think is imagination, I'm imagining how I'll feel when the interview is over and I'm driving home, is actually learning how to perceive what I did feel driving home. Right, right. You see the difference there? So proof of vision is when those two meet And I've had clients report remarkable experiences. One woman described it almost like a tsunami of emotion. When she really hit the two meeting, that moment, she said her whole body just lit up. Yeah, when her imagined experience became connected with the actual feeling she was having after the fact. And, you know, as, as you're 
describing that too, the other thing that I remember you uh, added to to my thought about it uh, vision, you know, in this whole process was that after you've created this really um, great, you know, future, you know, casting and back casting and so on, was to then utilize that feeling and say, what's one thing, a small thing even, or maybe especially, that I can do to actually set this in motion? It might be send one email, Mm -hmm. make one phone call, do one simple thing that in my mind, it's almost like it starts the dominoes in my mind of it's happening. That's a great image to have for it, Chris, and it's vital. And thank you for bringing this up because we don't want to leave our listeners with the impression that you're just waving a magic wand in your mind somewhere. The point of all this is to lead to some kind of action. And when you take that action, and I I find that small actions work better as you illustrated, a phone call, an email, whatever, it translates all this thinking and imagining into the 3D world. Now, we can apply this back to my comments about the traditional vision statement. Instead of saying, good, we got that done, now let's have lunch. (laughs) If they were just to say, okay, we have our vision statement, now what is one action each of us could take to begin to bring this vision into our working day reality here. That would yeah. make a huge difference. Well, and, and the organizations that I've seen that, that uh, do that well, um, you know, people carry a wallet card, but it doesn't just stay in their wallet. They, the practice in the organization is that they will pull it out in a meeting and they'll choose one of the values, for yeah. example, and yeah. say, they'll talk about that. How do we want to infuse that into this meeting? Mm-hmm. Or, or they'll read the vision statement. Mm-hmm. And say we want to make sure that what we're doing here connects with this vision. So let's keep that in mind. So in other words, the the vision becomes a living thing. It's rather, alive. Yeah, it's alive. Well, and let's backtrack just a little bit because I don't want to leave the impression that vision is just imagination. Uh, the feeling is vital, as we've said. Taking an action is vital. There's two other things. One we've already mentioned, which is the words. It's a vision statement. It's a declaration on a number of levels, but words are one very important part of it. So back to my example of this podcast, as I was driving over here, I had some words that I use. That was a great podcast that we just did. Right. Okay, so I'm in the future looking back, backcasting, and I said the words to myself, that was a great podcast that we just recorded. Those were my words. So that's step one, to say it. Right. Step two of this process is to see it. I imagined myself driving back to my office. I saw myself in the car. My right hand was on the, the, the stick shift. My left hand was on the steering wheel. I made it as real as possible. And then I had the feeling, you know, pride and happiness and what I described earlier. Those three components, say it, see it, and feel it, are really the key to this. And then, as you said, translating it into some kind of small action. Yeah, that's that's uh, the, I think those those three things, say it, see it, feel it, and sometimes you've said say it, sense it because yeah, you might, it's all the it's all the senses. You might yeah. imagine what you're hearing, you might yeah. imagine the the you know the the smell that's in the air, whatever it would be, but say it, see it, feel it, and then as you said, follow that mm-hmm. with one simple action that starts the dominoes uh, in motion and it is, I mean, what we're really talking about is taking charge of our own state change. Exactly. And and I hope listeners are getting the the feeling of this, that for both of us, this is a lot of fun. 
I mean, it's really a game, and life has gotten so serious, and I'm not in any way discounting the, the horrible suffering that goes on in many lives, but life is also a game. And if we realize that and start playing instead of just working, it changes everything. Well, and, and a lot of times, uh, you know, we've gotten into in some of our conversations and some of the chapters in our book and so on, we've gotten into the whole notion of creating new neural pathways. Yes. And, and this whole process of using our imagination and imagining uh, ourselves in the future experiencing something that went really well, that is, you know, creating a new neural pathway. And, and it's... A lot of times, I know at different at times in my life, it's been really challenging for me it, to let myself imagine something really positive. If I'm down, if I'm if I'm going through some kind of a depression or something like right. that, but to the extent that I can do it, even a little bit, even with simple things, I start to get those dopamine hits, those you know chemical exchanges that allow me to start to have that become a more regular part of how I live. Well, our brains are doing this already all the time. They're always working on creating our experience. So when we get under the hood and we start taking control of some of these processes which have gone unconscious and make them conscious, we start to see the difference it makes in our lives. We want to hear from you, so write us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Really enjoyed talking to you today and really encourage you to experiment with this process. Rewind if you need to. We've given you a lot of tips. We'd love to hear how this works for you. And we'll talk to you again next week.